Episode 304 of the Six Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm glad to hear you're doing well as well. Um, busy few days, busy week or so for the Milwaukee Bucks. A lot going on, a lot of news to get to. In part, that's why we've we're we're coming to you all now because there was kind of one thing after another, and then it made sense to wait a little bit longer and wait a little bit longer. And it seems like we've definitely reached a point now where everything's fallen into place, and all the various areas that have been uh, question marks revolving around the books in the past week or so. That feels right, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's start with the personnel changes we've we haven't actually had as of our time of recording. I mean, they haven't come to pass to be official, um, but should probably be at some point. Probably by the time most of you are listening to this, um, Marvin Williams is likely going to be a book. Um, he is in the process at the moment of having his bio finalized with the Hornets, and then he'll have to uh, go through his physical and whatever, go through all the paperwork with the books for his new deal, but Marvin Williams will be joining the books. And to make way for Marvin Williams, Dragon Bender will be waived to open up a roster spot. We're going to get into the deadline, and obviously the books that padded the deadline, um, although this move came so quickly after it that... <laughs> I mean, for all intents and purposes, it, it feels like it was a trade. It feels like it should be bundled in with those moves some of their, their rivals made. But what is your what's your overall impression? And I guess we have we have the benefit right now of having had a couple of days to let this one sink in and also to see some of the to see how the landscape around the NBA is being kind of reacting and adjusting to this and some of the other news has broke. How do you feel about the books landing Marvin Williams at this point? I am happy. <laughs> um, I, I think we talked about, I know when we talked about like buyout guys or kind of just. You hate buyouts. We do this every year. I do. I think, I think, how people view buyouts, especially after the everybody. I mean, the, the example that everybody gives out is the Ursan, uh Marco Bellinelli buyouts to the Sixers that the Hawks 
during Bud's last year there, and I think that was Schlink's first year in charge, right? Right. They are basically just like promising, like, oh, these guys are going to get moved, these guys are going to get moved, we're going to get something for them. Um, that doesn't come to pass. They hold firm on it, and then they buy them out, and then they, two capable players, obviously, as we've seen with their son coming back to Milwaukee, uh, Marco Bellinelli just can, he's obviously a good shooter. They go to Philadelphia for nothing, really, and basically that like it, it, it's not just those two players, but the fact that like Philly went on this crazy run to end the season where they didn't they lose just like five games in the last like two months or something like that. Like they really kind of uh, boosted their season out of nowhere. They had a fourteen um, game win streak, I think. And yeah, that's right. A, yeah. a large part of that came without Joel Embiid too, with like basically Urson being the guy. So everybody kind of points to these buyouts additions as like, oh my God, like you got to move heaven and earth for these guys. And a lot of the times, I mean, we saw it last year with like, obviously the Bucks did it with Powell and that's, I mean, he's kind of an outlier example in that he was just, you know, on the tail end of his career. Um, Are you disparaging Powell Gasols? I can't believe I'm hearing this. I'm just, just, in the facts but we saw the the raptors go throughout these like bio guys and all this like i just think or i think it was um espn's typical man like that said like the the last player to play over 100 playoff minutes for a title team was peja stoyakovich in 2011 with the dallas mavericks which i forgot that peja stoyakovich was on that team but like it just kind of shows you that like I think it's just more about like, oh, like there's movement. It's the transaction part of it that people get fired up for when in reality, what are you really getting from those guys? Now, as it comes, as it relates to Marvin Williams, in my view, um, obviously on the older side, he's 33 years old. He's played 15 years. This is his 16th year, 15th year, 16th year, right? Uh. No, 15th. 15th year. Yeah, that's right. Um, did it, He saw the fewest minutes of his career with the Hornets, came or was moved from a starting role for them, which isn't, I mean, not that surprising. Kids are Kevin Walker left last summer. Obviously, were uh, forced into a rebuild, uh, whether they wanted to or not. Um, and you know, it's the usual story of like, oh, we're turning over the team to kind of the younger players and everything and obviously bought into that. And then because of his salary, there was no really, you know, what are you really going to get from takers that really want them, knowing that he probably would get bought out um, because of, you know, there's no real role for this for him on that team. Um, and I think... For my, or from my perspective, I think he does have something to offer. Um, I still think he's been productive. We in the two games, three games, two games. Not two, that I'm really. saying that you know he's done well against the Bucks this year. As that should be like, oh, that's why they got him. But he's a capable veteran player that does kind of, I think, fill a role for this team, especially as you know, Ursan's uh, play can be up and down, and we. Kind of the last couple games, notwithstanding uh, Saturday, um, I felt like there was it was a little bit troubling in my eyes, or not troubling, but it, it just certainly seemed 
on the down scope this time around. Um, and I think for the Bucks, obviously waving Dragon Bender hurts them because they kind of they obviously viewed him as this developmental project. But considering just he was a non guaranteed uh, salary next year, um, the cost that you do uh, or the cost of waving him obviously hurts you for the now. But I think those that type of player can easily be found in guys that kind of are going to be thrown on the scrap heap in a couple of months because based on what's going to be, you know, going on this summer. So I think for, this is a rambling answer, but um, long and short of it, I do think Mar Williams out of the bio guys that I've, I've seen float around well before this. And, you know, now what we're seeing now, I think he's by far the kind of the most capable player that could, carve out a role and make it make a meaningful contribution to a team that obviously wants to win the NBA title. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree largely with all of that. Um, the dragon stuff pains me. I, I guess we'll maybe talk specifically about him in a couple of minutes. I think the, the Ursan thing is interesting and it's also interesting as it pertains to Robin because both of those guys they can they can go from playing twenty two minutes one night to eight minutes the next night pretty regularly. Like it, it has been something that it's not that there's not opportunity for them or they're not core parts of the rotation. It's just if there's anywhere where the books rotation is really open to change, it is at those spots. Depending on basically what the game obviously throws the books away but also it kind of feels like how bud feels or how he wants to play or what kind of looks he just wants to experiment with from night to night that to me is interesting and with marvin williams coming in i wonder is he going to further slot into that kind of role where there could be nights where we see him for eight minutes there could be nights where he's playing 25 minutes or is he gonna come in and be maybe similar to what he was in Charlotte where he plays just under 20 minutes per game off the bench. And if that is the case, then where are the minutes going to go or where are they going to be cut back? Like he is a different player to Ursan and that makes it worthwhile. I mean, all of this, it goes out saying this is, uh, it, it's unfortunate that all of this and this signing is in part an indictment of DJ Wilson, because if you, if you really believed in DJ Wilson, DJ Wilson is your your true alternative option at the four that's giving you something very different to Ursan. Um, if he was shooting well and you're saying, oh, well, we can switch easier with him and he can do a little more defensively in terms of activity, I, you wouldn't necessarily need to make a move like this, but this is a move for, okay, if we're going to come up against teams... Personally, right, small ball is a, is a big part of this discussion. I think you see a lot of small ball and possibly small ball five coming with with Marvin and you're not alone I've I've read a lot of tweets I've read articles suggesting the same I think this is this is a move to play big this is a move to think about some of those matchups you could have in the postseason where you need a big three and a big four and possibly a big two like I mean a lot of this Everything the Sixers have been doing for the last year has been designed to try and beat the Bucks, and as things are unfolding, we find out like there's a good chance they won't get there when it matters because they're so flawed otherwise. There is an element of this, though, to me, that is 
a little bit reactive to that from a Milwaukee point of view. But it's not just the Sixers either who have a roster constructed like that. I mean, there's elements of it in Boston and in Toronto where you can... Yeah, Miami too now. um, Where, like, significant chunks of the game where you might play Chris Middleton as the two and want an extra forward. It's not just, like, a possibility. It's it's very plausible that it's something you're going to need to do. You know, that you will be forced into those spots. And maybe that is something they've considered and said, as much as we love Ursan and how solid he can be for the team, if we're if we are forced into those spots, we could do with someone who can do a little bit more um without fully giving up what he can do. Like, I mean you you wrote about Marvin Williams the other day and you know that his his post up numbers are pretty impressive this year. Um I think it was ninety third percentile you told me, right? Yep. Like, as he has aged, some of the elements of physicality that are present in Ursan's game have come into his game. He's a very similar shooter to Ursan, like, percentages-wise throughout his career, very, very similar. This is not a dead-eye guy. Um, Having a pretty good year, has had better years, but he's also had plenty of years where he's down around 33 34%. There's a lot there. He is just more athletic and a little bit more mobile. You know, not not to the extreme of someone like DJ Wilson, but gave, giving you the balance of, okay, what if we can get the kind of veteran savvy and the team first mindset and all the things that you're going to get out of Ursan, just, I guess, the basketball intelligence, the experience, knowing what to do, and then also having this little bit extra. So I, I think it feeds into lots of questions about how the books are going to possibly play up in size even then if it is the other side and they play down like it's interesting to me what this is going to do for the rotation there's also the element always with a buyout deal or if or a trade at this time here even for other teams who've made trades of just you know will it click how quickly will they get accustomed to their new surroundings the new system how things are gonna happen here i mean he's been with the hornets since 2014 15 and the Hornets have been, like, at very best mediocre for just maybe two of those seasons. Like, he's been around bad teams, I, I not mean, bad coaches. One. I mean, the, the, the only one that he, his last playoff appearance was 15 Still against the Heat? Yeah, against the Heat. I think they were a 48 win team that year. And I feel, I feel like they had another 41-ish win season where they were just kind of okay. But look, that's the season. Last year, was it? Maybe I I honestly can't remember. Yeah. This is the Hornets' problem where you can't remember what they've been doing ever. They're just not that interesting. Um, there are there are elements here. I mean, James Borrego does come from the same San Antonio lineage, and maybe that hasn't hurt him, and notably worked alongside Coach Bud. I haven't watched enough of the Hornets this year and the Hornets have been trying their own thing that I don't know how much of that will have come true. Maybe a little bit more last year. Um, Of course, Bud and Marvin Williams were like um, two passing ships in the night when Bud first got his head coaching opportunity in Atlanta. Uh, Marvin Williams was traded. I want to say within the same week that Bud was hired. I feel like Bud was hired later that week. I think that, that might week. have been a year before. 
Because I think he was with Utah for two years. But I could be wrong. You could be right either. If I'm mixing it up, it's... If I'm mixing he, it up, it was he, within the first week Danny Ferry took the, the Hawks GM job, if that yes. was the case. Yeah, because I thought he overlapped with Corver. Yeah, he yeah he went to Utah in 2012. Yes, okay, okay, that's right. So it was actually, it was Danny Ferry's first year, first week on the job. He came in, he traded Marvin Williams, he traded Joe Johnson too, and basically said about the Hawks rebuild that, Bud came into the following year. Um, so yeah, kind of near misses. And then obviously Marvin Williams was in Utah, but he was out of there long before Quint Snyder. So there, there's lots of things you could point, a point to and trying to figure out how this is going to work as a fit. I think most importantly, and I think part of the reason why the books were prepared to pull the trigger is he's just a good guy. He's a high character guy with a really good reputation as a, as a hard worker, as someone who buy in and get involved and kind of put the team first. And clearly by, you know, just making a move like this and coming to terms on a buyout, he wants to win. You know, he, he's not necessarily looking to play as much as he's looking to contribute to winning. Um, and there's a difference there. It's not like this is someone who was completely out of the picture and couldn't get minutes in Charlotte because they're pivoting so hard in one direction. It's just, you know, this isn't a great situation for you at this point in your career. Do you want to go and have a chance to win elsewhere? And that's what he, he opted for. So a good, a good solid player. I'm, I'm curious to see how it will all work out. Maybe it clicks. And if it does click, this could really be a big deal. I think there's, Personally, I think there's a little bit more excitement than there should be. I would agree but I can, I can understand that, given that this is, as you kind of flagged up early on, I think this is as good as the buyout market gets this year. And the books got in early, and he would have had other options if he probably sat in a little bit while. He certainly, if he had waited until Darren Collison uh, was oh, staying been... retired, yeah. he, he would absolutely have had offers on his on his desk from both LA teams Um, so just getting him is a big win relative to what else is out there in terms of just basically straightforward and easy routes to potentially upgrade or certainly add to your depth before we kind of zoom out and we look at some of those rivals for the books in the east and west and I guess the state of the NBA post trade deadline Are you are you completely happy that they didn't make a trade and this is the route they went? I think I am because I just I don't I mean first of all I mean the fact that they went after Marvel Williams the um, I guess the profile player uh that he is isn't that surprising? I mean a lot of the the few rumblings that we heard related to the Bucks whether you know, uh, Kevin O'Connor reported that like they were kind of interested in what, what the deal was with uh, Markeith Morris. Um, who was the other one? There was another kind of four stretch four guy, James Johnson. Uh, just to actually cut across on this, right? Because we didn't, we, we talked about this, I feel like on the pod last time we did it, but certainly we've talked about it privately and have written about it in various articles. The whole idea that they were getting a four was clearly out there, and yet it didn't make that much sense to me, or that's the kind of player they wanted. 
this came about so quickly. Is there a possibility this was kind of a done deal behind the scenes dating back to Paris? Where both organizations both mean, organizations was... were around each other and there may have been kind of a a nod and a wink or, you know, where the, the Hornets might have said, look, we'll see if we can trade them. But if we're not, we are going to do a buyout where the books had the heads up and maybe there was a kind of gentleman's agreement, permission to talk to him early about this, that these seeds were planted well before. Because, I mean, it it just, it happened. Like, it was like, just kind of bang, bang. A matter of three hours after Woj reported that he was getting bought out. And then... It's, it's just interesting that those two... It was one of these rare trips where, like, front offices, everything. You had key, the owners sitting side by side, notably, for days and doing different events. And then this agreement comes about the way it does soon after. I wonder, did the books get a little bit of a helping hand from the Hornets and how all this played out? And, I mean, look, there is, as I touched on, I mean, Brago and Bud are close, too. There are, there are just in connections, I guess, in the wider sense between the two organizations at the moment and maybe some goodwill. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I I think it's. Oh, I'm trying to think of what was my larger point. <laughs> um, well, I I was asking if you were if you were happy that they didn't make. That's right. Yeah. Didn't make a trade. That this was the direction they went with their move. Um. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what you were saying, I mean, there has been kind of rumblings that. Something was going to happen with Williams, regardless if he was traded or not. I mean, again, we kind of talked about like how tough it is to trade for Williams because of just where his salary was. Um, but I am certainly happy that they go down this route of they don't really part with anything. I, th- I mean, there was some Luke Kennard kind of buzz that really kind of, I think, uh, set some people off like, oh, that's an interesting guy that you can kind of buy or not buy low on. Um, if you're, you know, doing away a draft pick or anything like that, but still like guy that doesn't really, you know, what is his, his future in a team with the Pistons that are rebuilding? You would think that they would want to keep a guy like that, but you know, they obviously could easily kind of float him out there and try to get what they could kind of really, you know, engineer a full rebuild and uh, stock up your assets in that way. But I just think, to me, like how the the deadline played out, and we talked about this privately. I mean, it was incredibly strange, and it it wasn't that surprising that it was so strange because of just how everything is setting up to be, especially ahead of a free agency that is going to be. I mean, there's a reason why everybody keeps talking about Giannis in 2021 because 2020 free agency is just a bore. <laughs> it's it's going to be really worst class ever. It, it's oh, the worst, absolutely. worst class ever. It's not even just the worst class. It's the, the fact that, like, you know, the teams, some of the, the few teams that did have cap space, you know, loaded up, like Memphis. Uh, it certainly seems like Cleveland's going to use their cap space, you know, whether Andre Drummond picks up his player option or not. Like, it's, it's also extensions being done. It's like the Rockets yep. wasting no time in guaranteeing the final year of PJ Tucker's deal. Everyone's just like six going ahead and doing their business now because they don't want to pretend or they don't want to even give themselves the temptation to be sitting there looking at the options that are available because, I mean, anyone who does bite on that. I mean, there's no market. You should be getting value deals, but all it takes is one dumb team and you don't want to be the team to do that in the summer where you've leverage and yep. there's not a lot of talent out there. Yep. Um, so I, I just think 
I, I think it was just smart to play on the sidelines or play on the side, sit on the sidelines because I, I just don't think there was any really desirable target. Everybody that was kind of, you know, dreaming of uh, a Robert Covington, Bogdan Modanovic, who obviously didn't end up getting moved. Um, kind of like these guys that could really vault you over the top. They just weren't really that available this year. Covington to me was the only guy that really was talked about as like this, I guess Marcus Morris to a lesser extent, but I was, I don't, I didn't see a role for him on this Bucks team. Um, Absolutely the, not. I, look, <laughs> considering like this, now you said Marcus there. Do you mean Marcus or Mark Eve? Because obviously we had the Keith rumor, but I mean, Marcus was obviously out there for everyone. Mar- Marcus is like, he, he was certainly the one that was kind of piped up like, oh, the Knicks could really get something in. I mean, obviously they did. They got a first rounder, and um, uh, well, forgetting already who else they got, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Mo Harkless, Mo Harkless. Yeah. Um, it just, I I think Marcus Morris is overrated. I think Markeith Morris. I think they're both relatively overrated at this point, certainly compared to the hype that happened around the deadline, but also considering the events of the last week surrounding Marcus Morris. I mean, any team being like rushing out of their way to bring that guy in. For if the books had done something like that, honestly, either either Morris brother, they're pretty combustible figures of the sort that the books don't have. Both in like their they, attitude and play. Yeah, they've both look, they both have a track record of that. And the books just need no part of any of that. Like this is this is where it, the fact that Marvin Williams is the kind of guy that they do pull the trigger on makes sense because worst case scenario is like they just don't really play him and they stick with Ursan. And they kind of they'll go they'll go smaller and they'll give Sterling or Pat Connaughton more minutes and move everyone up a spot and the rotation is kind of as it is and you've lost Dragon Bender. But if that is the worst case scenario, Marvin Williams will likely sit on the sideline and be a good teammate and want the team to win. He's here for just a few months and I'm sure he'd like to finish that off with a ring where if that's the situation one i mean either morris brother i think is going to need the ball more going to want more shots just don't think they're a good fit but if they were to come in and then you were to decide that i just think it goes really really bad so i'm i'm glad they avoided that i mean look i've I've been very clear about this on the record i didn't want the books to make a trade so i am happy with that I didn't think they'd move this fast in the buyout market and particularly for a forward. So I will say coming out of all this, I just still have this this concern over their lack of point guard depth that's going to just hang over the remainder of the season for me. And this is the thing that I really worry about more than like people talk about, you know, opponents shooting the lights out from tree and all of these things. The thing that honestly scares me most is that everything will go right for the books other than, you know, they'll have a week where Bledsoe picks up a niggling injury, George Hill picks up a niggling injury, Dante picks up a niggling injury, and we're looking at the roster being like, my God, this is all going to fall apart because we only had two proper point guards on it. You know, that's... That is concerning. Just the idea of that is very, very... It bothers me. It's something I can't shake, and it's just there. And look, maybe in part it's because we've seen it. I mean, none of those guys are immune to getting these kind of niggling injuries they all get them quite regularly in fact so 
all it takes is, you know, poor timing and you've got a problem. I mean, even look, we saw one game recently uh, where the books were without Dante and George Hill and the anxiety, just that idea <laughs> that who knows, maybe it's a game seven in the playoffs and both guys just can't go. And all of a sudden you've only got Bledsoe. That's my one thing with all of this is they've kind of used their chip. Um, I think, I guess they could technically, you know, if in case of emergency, they could make a move, they could wave someone else and bring someone else in. Not that there's any particularly interesting guard candidates out there for that. I mean, I guess Tyler Johnson compared oh. to what was there before, but I don't, I'm not interested in him so did more you generally see at this point. What he's done this year? Not a lot. Is, is that what you're, not a lot. Is that what you're getting when, at? Or? When he's, I, I, he hasn't played that much. 31 games and he's shooting 28.9% from three. Like, that's not appealing. <laughs> if, there, if there is one thing we know, though, Jordan, it's that players who, you know, who career nadirs with the Phoenix Suns do tend to do a lot better when they come to the Milwaukee Bucks. Are you talking about Mirza Toledovic? No, I'm joking. I know you're talking about Eric Bledsoe. Oh, uh, if only, if only Mirza's career picked up. Uh, um, they've they've really been chasing that one. It's funny you say that because they've been chasing that ever since. That particular player archetype. That's how Miritic came in, and this is a variation on the team. Ursan. Yeah, well, I mean, Ursan came in to fill the gap. But it's it's also then why even when Ursa came in and that's kind of covered over from a depth perspective, they're looking for that kind of player and that brings in that brings in Miritich last year and then that doesn't work out and we find ourselves at the buyout market and they're like, let's let's find a four who can shoot and give us I their their preoccupation with this is interesting to me given the fact that as we've talked about before, um, they have the best power forward on the planet their obsession with ways to find another forward to kind of toy around with this. Particularly, I mean, Chris has shown he can play the four and he can play the four pretty well. And physically he can hold up well against most fours. I mean, if you stagger minutes, I think there's other ways the books could deal with a lot of that. Clearly something that they have in their head that just, they keep going back to the well, but yeah, that is an interesting one. Um, Okay. Let's, let's zoom out a little bit further. Um, where do you want to go first? Which which rival team will we go to first? I think we have to talk about the one that actually did something. <laughs> the Heat. Well, I mean, multiple did something, but does I guess I'll say my thoughts on Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, the Miami Heat. Uh, headlined with. I mean, I guess the trading for Andre Iguodala wasn't that shocking. Um, trading for and coming to terms on an extension with him. That was incredibly bizarre. Just classic recent Miami Heat stuff, um, which in a lot of ways to me undermines so much of um, so much of the good that they have done in recent years. They've all so simultaneously seemed to handcuff themselves every time they'd find like a, a diamond in the rough second round or undrafted guy who could really bring them to a new level. They would I mean, just seem to try to cancel that out with an absolutely ridiculous contract for a mediocre at best role player. 
Um, that's the kind of thing they continue to do. Um, not only did they get Andre Godala, though, they also picked up Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder as part of that deal, which as things that you're just kind of picking up to fill out the deal, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, capable players. Justice wins on the move and this is interesting to me. Um, I'm not exactly sure what, what point they're at in terms of... Did he play it last night, right? They did. They lost to Portland. And... I know they've lost three in a row, which is kind of what I was getting at there. But I'm just trying to think, did, um, like, who's playing? Is everyone involved? Crowder's played, right? I I think both Iggy and Crowder have played. Obviously, they were without Jimmy Butler, who had, has, like, a strained shoulder. So, you know, take that for what it is. But, yeah, they've lost two. their last three, I mean. Um and, yeah, both yeah. both Crowder and Iguodala played. Um, you are right. Obviously, Jim Butler is out. Nine man rotation, and I mean, not a lot beyond that that they're really going to go to. They don't have the kind of depth that I think a lot of people might believe they have. How how do you feel about this? Before I get to, I mean, the kind of just general suspicions. Um, <laughs> that I have and that everyone probably expects me to have. What are your thoughts on what the Heat have done? Does it really move the needle for you? I think it's been interesting in that everybody kind of like immediately, the first like thing is like, oh, Iggy gets moved, Memphis, you know, they were holding on for this first round pick that for, you know, months now. They don't get it. They end up doing this deal for, you know, the they really wanted Justice Winslow out of that deal. They obviously waived Dion Waiters, I think, last night. They moved James Johnson as part of that deal to Minnesota to get Gorgie Dang, and I don't, I'm not sure if his deal's even expiring at this point. It might be. I can't remember. But mm, I think he's got one more year. I think, yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, but everybody's kind of looking at the Iguodala deal, and then I know we were talking about this, like, the shock of it is, like, so you do an extension for a 36-year-old that hasn't played in six months and what he has been playing? Like, I don't know. I think we this is the kind of... There was just a lot of, like, what, the criticisms of Memphis's side of the deals that you kind of... Uh, you know, you're trading you're trade for this Justice Winslow guy that hasn't played all that much this year and has a you know long injury history. The same could easily apply to a 36-year-old Andre Iguodala that, that has not played in six months. And I just think, you know, couple in Jay Crowder, who everybody talks about as this, like, great player. I Again, I I don't see it. He's shooting, like, 30% from three. Um, I just think I, – I totally agree with you. I think they kind of I, – I, they wanted to make a – kind of make good on what this year was – you know, really maximize what is this year. That's what the, well, that's, team? that's what I was about to say is like, they want to maximize what this run is. And to me, it's still kind of this gap year. I know it's been a great, it's still a great gap year, but they don't have anything. I, I don't know. I think I would have been more scared of the heat as they were. 
um, just because I think they do have some kind of, there is something that is clicking with them in terms of these guys that they, a Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, um, the kind of these undrafted, you know, Tyler Hero rookie players kind of guys that are making, you know, big contributions for this team. There is a there is an identity to what they are playing with after you know the last couple of years of just like you know the cat they uh went all in on this team that wasn't nearly what it you know sh- like they they all went on this team that went what was it, like thirty and eleven at the end of like sixteen seventeen mm-hmm. and put all this money in these guys that you know obviously were in career and uh not career years. Well, yeah, career years and contract years and all this stuff, and they there were sentimental contracts, sentimental right? contracts here, contract years. And I think there is just kind of like Pat Riley is just trying to find this fish, and everybody talks about this legend of Pat Riley. Oh, like once he gets in the room, and I'm just thinking like he's done. This is in his mo. Like for every summer that he's done this with LeBron and putting the rings on the table and all this stuff, like you could point to that summer of seventeen where they go with Dion. Kelly Olynyk out of the blue that was just like what what's going on here James Johnson all this stuff like those are more those there are more examples of that than LeBron coming there and they like transform this team and become this kind of phenomenon and I just think we're seeing it again now I, I don't maybe Justice Winslow never plays played for them again this season or whatever maybe he's out for the rest of the year you're moving on to guys that can actually contribute to you but that doesn't mean it's going to be a positive impact. You know what I mean? Like that's what's weird kind of getting lost on me in this. Is that like, Oh, you're trading from healthy bodies right now, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be good for you. I, I just, I don't get it really. Um, I'm, I, I think this actually makes them worse. I think the idea that it's a heat masterclass is completely baffling because honestly, I think if the Memphis Grizzlies people has, talk people talk about offered, as as the the gymnastics that they do to to you know they don't give up a first round pick they they try to get Danilo Gallinari for but they know, didn't get him they didn't get him obviously but they try to get him like and, without and that, that's also much. key in this if if they got Gallinari as well I mean then maybe it's a different conversation I mean part of this is I just don't take them that seriously as an offensive team I think they're they were already incredibly pesky and a series that you wouldn't necessarily be looking forward to of the kind of options out there. One that could be made difficult. Um, I would still, I would still see the books getting past the heat, but it was one of the, the trickier ones just by nature of how Eric Spolster coach teams had to play and by what this team had going on defensively. Now I know a lot of people are like, Oh, now they've added, added Andre Iguodala. Well, I mean, yeah, 36 years old, hasn't played in six months. I mean, what is that? What What is that at this point? Why would you really put so much stock in that? Uh, but I, I don't even think it's a coup to get him because I, I think if the Grizzlies had offered him a two-year extension of that kind of money, I think he would have played for the Grizzlies because at the point in his career he was at, that's a big deal to him. Like, it's a really, like, you look at being out of the league and if he wants to come back next year, if he hadn't been traded, and the Grizzlies were adamant they weren't going to buy him out. Well, he would have been coming back on, like, maybe a mid-level at best. Like, no one is going to pay for a guy who was out of the league a full year and is then going into being 37 years old 
a kind of big deal and yet that's what the heat have done now look the heat believe in their own uh, sports science and injury prevention stuff and have earned a relatively good track record and a lot of that um it just doesn't move the needle for me i just galinari would have galinari and iguodala i would have said okay um i have doubts over iggy but if that works out and they've got galinari and that works out now i'm seeing something that sure you know, it's it's worth paying a little bit more attention to. This just doesn't quite feel right. Maybe it does work. I'm not saying it's impossible. I do think they are at a major talent deficit. Like, major talent deficit still compared to... Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, Sixers... I gave a little bit of talk to the Pacers, but I'll I'll let them have the edge on that one. Although, maybe I shouldn't. If Oladipo's healthy and looking good, but it's not the playoffs come around. Like, I mean, having Oladipo and Sabonis and Miles Turner and Brogdon and good depth pieces around that, I mean, I, I don't see what too much of the difference is there. I think the Heat have a definite coaching advantage. But I, I just, like... They're playing the same game that's got them into bad spots in recent years by yes. overpaying for players that aren't obviously going to bring you to a certain level. Like this is, they are on paper the fifth and arguably the sixth most talented team in the Eastern Conference. That's that's a lot to overcome. That's a lot to overcome if you really want to make a mark. Um, now look, it's as always, Miami is one of those places or so, so we're told over and over again, it's been a while since we've seen it, um, that, you know, maybe, maybe if they end up in a four or five matchup with the Sixers and they knock the Sixers out in round one, um, it really sends a message that, you know, they're back, they're back in business, back on the map, but that would mean more in a summer where there were free agents and they did have money to spend. Um, (laughs) Neither of those things are on the table, so oh I mean also I do I do find that I think Zach Vo has made a really good point about this on quite a few occasions that relate to a number of teams, which is you know if you wanna play the hypothetical let's make a run at Giannis game, yeah. your best chance of doing that is beat the books. Yeah. Beat the books this year. If you if you can't do that, if you don't set your team up to do that, you've got no chance of getting else. And them trying to like preserve, not doing the extension Galnari wanted to, to try and preserve twenty twenty one cap space is just it's hilarious to me. Maybe someone can grab this audio and laugh at me when Giannis leaves for Miami in twenty twenty one. I don't see it though, and I certainly don't think they're going the right way about getting him or getting anyone of that caliber. Um, Jimmy Butler it took a unique kind of situation and a unique kind of dude to go there, and. I guess they've struck gold to a degree with Bam Adebayo, and that's the only reason that it's like this, you know? I mean, as nice as Robinson and Nunn are, you don't start making these moves if Bam isn't an all-star, if you just kind of haven't pulled that one out of nowhere, which is good work. It's good development work. It's good GMing. Just where it ultimately kind of... What it ultimately equates to is very uncertain to me. I think they're they are they are what they were is the thing. They've made moves that 
just don't do so much to raise their ceiling. And the best case might be just doesn't lead to a drop-off, sees them play like they would have probably played anyway. And that could mean that they get through a first round, maybe a second round. I'd be very, very sceptical of their chance of doing anything beyond that. The Philadelphia 76ers, Jordan. Elton Brand. Uh, um, I like Glenn, Glenn Robinson third. He's long been. We know we know you like Glenn Robinson third. I, I mean, yes. yes. Um, Alec Burks having a good year. Having a good year, but very injury prone. Kind of just seems like a snake bin guy. Honestly, like he's has talent, but there's just always something that kind of you know gets in the way of him actually kind of realizing and you know more importantly just kind of playing at that level for you know an extended amount of time teams um, seem to consistently find better players when he's on their team they think he's going to play a role and then they get to look at players and they realize they'd rather give the minutes to someone else and that could be like Furkan Korkmaz in Philly but it's on the playoffs come around yeah do you know what I mean that's yep. like going back to his Utah days like, they liked him, and he was their draft pick, and they could see something, and it's like, oh, if he was healthy, maybe we could. And then even when eventually he gets healthy, it's like, there's always someone who comes along that a team seems to decide, oh, yeah, you're you're good, you're good-ish. We just prefer this player, and there's not really a role for you here. And that would, to me, seem to say something at this point. And he did it with a Jazz teammate. I mean, Trey Burke, they waved. Um mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I just think, uh, I mean, what we kind of applied to the Heat, uh, I think the si- Sixers kind of deadline day really, what what is what is getting those two players as, you know, they're having great years, could obviously, you know, shoot the ball well and carve out a theoretical role. What does it really solve their, um, this kind of identity crisis that they've had all the season long. Um, I don't think it really does solve it to be obviously. Um, and I think they're going to be really underwhelming. <laughs> it's like, guess what? The Sixers have no depth again. Like the Sixers have a terrible bench. Um, and as opposed to 12 months ago, the problem they have is their starting lineup isn't cohesive. It makes no sense. And I I do follow quite a lot of Sixers fans. I probably should address that. Um, but I do. So I, I see a lot of their their general conversation, the kind of talking points that go on Sixers Twitter. And I can't really understand it. I can't understand why the sole focus of all of this isn't just Elton Brand. And like he built a roster that was obviously not going to work from the start. That was this thought experiment that the majority of people got themselves incredibly hyped up about and that this was going to be the team. I mean, the talent is obvious and what that could be, but there's always a sense of needing to see it. And then when we see it, it's like, oh, it doesn't really work. It's well, who could have guessed it wouldn't really work. But Brett Brown is kind of drawing a lot of the ire for that. And I guess he's there a long time and you've only done so much and all that is naturally going to come about at that point. You've got Al Horford taking a lot of it, which it's kind of like, to me, 
having watched Al Horford for a long time, and I don't even think that needs to apply to it, just most NBA fans, what's Al Horford's reputation? What kind of player is he? Do you know he is? What's his reputation as a guy in a locker room? If you're trying to frame things that Al Horford is the problem, I think you're missing the problem. Like, it's it's the deal. It's signing Al Horford. It's That's the direction you're going to go. It's just the sheer desperation, the inability to um, convince Jimmy Butler that this is a place where he should and could stay and to bring back J.J. Redick and to pivot in this way. I don't know. And particularly when you're bringing in like Josh Richardson then via that trade and it's like we knew they had no shooting and they don't have shooting and it comes to the deadline and it's like, let's get shooters. Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks. Like if the Sixers figure it out, it has nothing to do with those two guys. No. No. While we're on the subject of the Sixers, I want to talk about the... I guess I want to talk about the West and just how that's shaping up in terms of who made deals and who stood pat as well. Um, But... That Sixers win, the Bucks win over the Sixers, I should put it as, um, very important. Just, I think, in terms of killing narratives before they can really grow legs. Yes. Not giving any fuel to something that certainly would become a and a frequent source of anger and frustration among Bucks fans if they had lost that one. But also I just think in making a point to the Sixers, like with with the way the two games have played out. They play again soon. Um so look, we don't have to wait as long for another look at this, but the Sixers must deep down know just like how everything clicked into place for them on Christmas Day. Like, just how phenomenal that was. And when they're out-defended by the books, which I feel they will be every time, and then we've just touched on what their problems are in terms of roster construction and identity offensively, that can feel good. Like, I mean, when we get all these quotes about how Sixers players are feeling and you know, not knowing what they're going to do, like... So- <laughs> I don't think there's a coach who can overcome some elements of that because it's down to roster construction, but that must also weigh into their thoughts when they come to play a team like the Bucks or the Raptors. It's like, you know, our hands are sort of tied here. And if we can't win this game with our defense, the thing that we were supposed to be an all time team, the likes of which like no one has ever seen, like I, that doesn't even get talked about now that they're just sure they're good but they're not even, like, great. No one's seen, like, the Sixers are... It's... The Bucks are just head and shoulders above them in that department. Yeah. If that's not the area you can win the battle, you don't really have a chance. Yeah, I mean, the, what's funny about it is that, like, you know, the two games, they shoot 43s. They make 43s against the Bucks, And, you know, Christmas Day, it's like, oh, my God, like, look at how much they, you know... uh make the Bucks defense look silly. Everybody knows that they kind of, the Bucks. I mean, they're on track to break their record last year of allowing the most three pointers um, and, and three point makes. Um, and everybody looks at like, Oh, this is the team. This is what it looks like when it's finally realized they put in a similar performance really uh, Thursday. They, I mean, it was 21 threes on Christmas day, 19 threes on last Thursday. 
and you kind of just see like there was no tangible there was no tangible difference in terms of how you know the the areas that they won against the bucks they they still won those areas in the, their loss to it it's just everything else like i i that's the thing to me is that like that's where this is obviously the bucks biggest bet on how they defend and just their identity overall is that like yeah you're gonna have a game like that uh where you know you make us look silly it wasn't it was a 12 point loss but let's be honest it was it was not even that close um pretty much from the tip-off really um and i mean they looked like they could have closed that if that game was two minutes longer they're right there Sure, it was if flatter is the overall arc of the game, but the Bucks' comeback was very much genuine. I think that's the one thing that shouldn't be like the way the Bucks ate into that was an element of regression to the mean, and the Bucks finding their own hot shooting and the Sixers cooling off. Like there was, there was something real enough about that that I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand. I don't, I don't think the twelve points. I don't think the 12 points is doing a massive disservice because I think like the books earned to get it back to that point and showed what they could do in getting it back to that, considering just how ugly it was at one point. I guess you're right. Um, I, I guess my, just the, or like the larger point is that like, you kind of, you know, um, get the same level of success. You, you, you know, you're seeing as a team that can't really, have consistent shooting numbers and you certainly get that against the bucks and it doesn't really lift you. Um, at least in terms of last Thursday. Um, and obviously Joel and beads performance was just incredibly awful. Um, say for like a mini four minute stretch where he hit some shots, <laughs> basically what he had for the entire night. Like, I just think I, 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 I think the parallels I've seen, like, people draw them like being obviously looking like last year's Celtics where this is an incredibly inconsistent team. There is no real kind of unity, um, both in terms of how players play with one another. And the fact that your two best players play better when one of them is off the floor, I mean, kind of just says it all to me. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Everybody kind of is waiting for that click, but uh, or something to click with them. But this, you are where you are at this point in the season, and barring some kind of miraculous comeback, and you kind of, you know, <laughs> we're we're already in the middle at, at the you know near the beginning of February. It's February tenth. Like there, there is no magical elixir that's going to come for them. Um, and again, like you said, this is all, it's not Brett Brown. It's not Al Horford. It's not the guys that you cycle in and out. At first it's Mike Scott that like, Oh my God, look at this guy. He's this, you know, savior. He can hit threes for us. Trey Burke was one of those. Trey Burke too. Yes, exactly. Like, um, James, James Ennis, like both of those guys have been the, they can be the piece. Look at what they're offering. And then it's like a year later. Well, they're just cast aside because that was ridiculous to begin with. You're trying to do something that's just it's like it's unfeasible from from the jump yeah um yeah I, again i i don't people are going to view them as like oh this there there's still going to be a, a problem for the bucks in terms of what they can offer in size and they'll have to play around that obviously 
Um, but I, I just don't see this team being a real threat to bury the Bucks in a playoff series. I mean, the one thing I have with the two games we've seen this season now, um, and particularly given how last week played out, when we saw the Christmas Day defeat and we saw how they just rained in trees and the Bucks didn't just didn't quite have it on the offensive side for themselves for most of the game, and that's really, you know, Giannis didn't have it at the level you'd expect. He was hurt, I mean, it seems pretty safe to say. That's fine. We know the Bucks can be outshot. We know they will give up trees, and if an opponent gets hot, that can they can lose that way. I'm I'm okay with that because we've seen the matter of how often it doesn't work out that way, and uh, based on where their strengths lie in other departments. The thing though that was hammered home last week that is not just a kind of this is a general, this is something general we know about the team, which I think that is, but something specific about the matchup is just how well Robin Lopez played against Joel Embiid. Yep. We talked about that in the summer because this is like this is a historical thing. This is a known thing. Embiid does not play well, does not like playing against Robin Lopez. And it happened again. Um Brooke played really well, but some ended up in foul trouble to the point where Robin came in and Robin maybe in some ways played even better on that night. Um I believe he held that Embiid on three of ten shooting. Uh Robin did. Like, I mean, that to me interests me because that's a matchup-specific detail. I don't know how much else we've got from either side out of the two games. That isn't something that could just be known from the scouting report. And, I mean, the problem with also with saying, oh, you know, the Sixers could beat the Bucks if they really shoot the lights out from tree. I mean, it's the if element of that. It's There's no... There's nothing more tangible, more concrete that we've seen before. It's like, sure, you could, but you've got to go out and shoot like that. And when you look across the roster, that's easier said than done. Like, I think that's part of from the Sixer side, where for the Bucks, um, beyond just kind of, I think if the two teams play at their very best, the Bucks probably win. You also get this element of you've got these small advantages that become much larger because we're talking about the Sixers' best and most important player. And the ability of a Bucks role player, who I was alluded to earlier, in certain games he might just play eight minutes, but against the Sixers, against Embiid, you could play him for twenty-four minutes and really, really bog them down. I mean, that is also if we saw a series, that's a series begging out for you know the big lineups. What I'm talking about earlier, yep. and possibly even bigger because of how they may look to use Simmons and just the general shape of their roster. Just like teams look to wall off the paint against the Bucks because of Giannis. Wall off the paint for the Sixers, and they've got nothing. Like, they're desperately hoping to make some trees. And even if they do make them, like we saw last week, so much of what they rely on and just kind of developing any kind of rhythm or flow or confidence is based on guys like Simmons and Bede being able to get inside and score easy points. So, a somewhat instructive game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, yikes on the Sixers trade deadline. Um, out west, if we look at what happened, teams the Bucks could play in the finals. Rockets and Nuggets both kind of have me scratching my head. But I'm being generous even in saying that. I just, 
um, like whatever the Rockets are doing, and they're just doing stuff to try stuff because at this point they're they've been down this road so many times they got to figure something out. Um, if they make it to the finals and they play the Bucks, they will be they'll be swept. I have zero doubt about that. They are not a team remotely equipped to play the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, maybe they find a way that it gets them deeper into the West than it might have looked before the deadline. But um, trading out of Clint Capella and reshaping the roster as they have, they are not designed to play the Bucks at all. So part of that to me is also why do they do it? Because their goal is championship. They've been to conference finals. Um, even if they think they found something that might work, and I'd be very, very skeptical of that in terms of getting to conference semifinals, conference finals. Beyond that, I don't think they have a chance. And not just the Bucks. Um, there are centers and there are bigs of high quality in the East. I don't know how they can look at the East and think if they got to the finals, they'd be in a great position against most of those teams. Certainly not against the Bucks. Agreed on that? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting what they're doing, but I don't think interesting necessarily means um, winning. <laughs> yeah, if you're like a five seed and you're happy to be that and you want to play around and like that's fine, but you've got two stars who at this point are aging like hardly is aging we're all yeah, aging is, I but... mean, some of the games that he's had lately have been god awful like I, we're not we're nowhere near the point where it's a discussion like about him being old but he is aging and with westbrook and everything they've put into their various deals and like the assets they've moved over the last few years like you don't have a whole lot of other options beyond that yep. so i guess you just try something and also even though the walls are closing in money. and you're desperately just trying to find this kind of you know again magical wand that could really just well we found our new identity it's like oh like it's interesting no doubt but yeah you're trying to employ the tillman fertita approach to winning too yeah. you know which, yeah, no, we don't need to sidetrack ourselves. Um, the Denver Nuggets getting involved in that deal and shipping out uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley. I can't understand this. They waived Gerald Green, right? So they have an open he's roster been, spot right now? He's been out the whole year, though. Yeah, but they have an open roster spot now, right? I believe so. Like, Malik Beasley is good. Yeah, they've been has, they've been, has been a key part like of their bench unit, like in and out of the year, all throughout the year. So, I, I, but I just don't know why they're doing that. Like, what is how does that make them better? It makes them clearly worse to me. They lost two capable players. I I don't get it. I don't know why they were compelled to get involved in that. Like, I, beyond my understanding, like particularly, it's not like there's this rich bounty of bio guys coming. Um, even whether they're good or not, just that teams would be tempted on. There isn't. So, what are they doing? I don't. I don't get it. Um, Clippers. Why do you think the Clippers post deadline? They had the Morris deal. They had was there was something that set up a deal. I, I guess. I guess they kind of again. Similar to what the Nuggets did, in well before not getting anybody of value or of note, um, they kind of moved off surplus players. I mean, they got they the only outgoings I could think of are Mo Harkless and Derek Walton. 
Jerome Robinson. Right. Jerome Robinson was the one to the Wizards, and then IT came, and obviously he was waived. Yeah. Um, and obviously they were in the running for Darren Collison, and you know he's deciding not to play this year. Um. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. I don't know. They they're they're just kind of a weird team. They get blown up by the the Timberwolves who had a won a game with Carl Anthony Towns since Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that's a weird team. And again, I think I mean this is the the Morris deal and kind of like the other players that were kind of, you know, the I guess wish list trade wish list players, kind of, you know, the Bogdanoviches Covington, David Davis Bertans, though obviously didn't get moved, and Washington was pretty public about like we're not moving this guy. I mean, you have such a pronounced role on a, a New York Knicks team that's you know terrible, um, and you know historically he's been a great shooter, but that can easily trail off. And it's not he needs like, the ball though too. You've got Lou Williams, too, Paul George, one. Kawhi Leonard, and you're bringing Marcus Morris in. Like that's gonna take the ball away from the guys who are actually good players. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to look it up really quick. I'm going to guess he had a career usage. No. Yes, he did. Yes. He had a career uh, high in usage. He had 24.3% with the Knicks. So yeah, that's, <laughs> you're going to need the ball a lot to score efficiently and look, you know, be what you are for a Knicks team that can't really do anything else. <laughs> um, Would that be second on the books? Maybe uh, both on Middleton have more, but not by that much. It might be it might be second on the Bucks by not that much. I, I don't know why I'm asking you. I should just check that and let you make your point. Um, <laughs> it's more than Bledsoe, and it's just behind Middleton. Just behind? Oh, yeah. Middleton 25.1, Bledsoe 23.7. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I think they're kind of a weird team. I, I don't think they, maybe they get someone in the, again, you know, maybe they, they're, they'll eventually get someone in the bio market. I, I, you know, there is kind of a hole there. Obviously they were looking at Collison to fill a hole there. Um, but I, I just don't know what to really make of them. And maybe this is, you know, the slow play. Everybody kind of. Do you, you think know, they needed his shooting, Marcus Morris? Like, I, if you if we get to the business end and everyone's healthy and you've got Shamit and you've got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, I mean, you're not like you're not lacking in shooting. I'm pretty sure Jermichael Green's having a good shooting year too. Although maybe I'm wrong. But on his that. his role has also been kind of weird too. But my thing with that is like if you don't need that, okay. If you want a four, like maybe they would have been better waiting it out and trying to get like Michael Kidd Gilchrist. If you just want another body. But really what this boils down to is when it comes to the business end and when they want to win games, I don't see anything that's changed for them. And I think their best lineups will probably end up having to go small with uh, Montrez at the five. And you're going to have Lou Will in there. And it's going to be some combination of the kind of things we've the kind of things we saw even before this year, you know, what worked for them with Kawhi and Paul George integrated into it. I think that's going to be the best version of the Clippers is going to look something like that. Like, I just, are we talking about like if they're playing the Lakers and the conference finals and the games on the line? 
they're being like, we need to get Marcus Morris and Zubac out there. <laughs> There's no chance. They're gonna their best players are gonna be on the floor. And in terms of, you know, with a consistent track record, um, that's gonna involve Trez and Lou Williams. Yeah. With I would say George Leonard and Shamut. Yeah, maybe you switch in Beverly if he's feeling it, but with sure, Shamit. Yeah. But yeah, that that's that's I would say their ultimate five. So why are you trading stuff for Marcus Morris? And also, I mean, look, the Mo Harkless thing hasn't really worked out, but I mean, like you like Ben Robinson the third, I've liked Mo Harkless forever. Mo Harkless can do stuff, he can play. He may actually be like one of the more interesting bio guys, which is of no use to the Clippers. Uh but yeah, I mean I don't get it. I don't, all these teams may have moved backwards with their moves, which is quite impressive. It, it probably stinks of an air of desperation, which I guess brings us on to the last element of this, and that's the LA Lakers, who it's probably fair to say less willfully kind of state as they were, as just couldn't get anything they needed done, and were probably also very confident of getting Darren Carlson to address one of their major issues, and then that fell true. Does that seem right? Uh, I mean, he he was at a, a Lakers game last week. So they had reason to be confident. To be fair, yeah, um, yeah, they're. I think of all the contending teams, uh, I guess I. How would I classify them? I think it's Bucks, Toronto, um, the two LA teams. I'll just do the top four. Um, Is that in rankings? Like, are you ranking? No, no, no. Just the the contending teams that have, I I think, have the, I guess, are viewed as the best shot to go to win it. If the brackets break, logically, anything other than those being the conference finals at this point would be a surprise. Yeah. If the brackets break in a way where that can happen. Now, like, maybe it won't the way the Clippers are and they may not care. Although I'd say they would rather not have to play the Lakers in the conference semifinals. Um, like, uh, to extend that further, anything other than Bucks lakers finals is an upset. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, I guess this goes to my point. I don't... I don't know. I, I think this Lakers team is kind of... I don't know. I I, I, just... I agree with that. I agree with it in terms of the issues are the same as they were from before the season. Which, but they're also, I think they're also they getting worse. I yeah, I do also look, and there there's probably a part of this too that we don't quite know. Like they've had quite a couple of weeks. Like yeah, things around yeah. the Lakers have been difficult, so I don't I don't know, and even like. Obviously, Rob Blanca's relationship to Kobe, I mean, the trade deadline, all of that stuff just may not have been the way they wanted it to go anyway. That was all kind of beyond their control and put into perspective. But I do think the thing they have going is, next to the books, I don't think there's another team in the NBA who, remarkably considering some of the players on that team, has the kind of steadiness and just cohesion and what seems like genuine chemistry that they have. Like, there just seems to be a level of trust you could put there that say the Clippers haven't been able to establish. Maybe it's not that the Clippers can't get it, but because 
like Kawhi just can't play any kind of a regular glut of games and Paul George has missed plenty of games too you're not getting those two guys together you're not getting the kind of lineups around them you want to so it's just like what have we got we don't really know the Lakers don't have that problem they may know what their what their issues are I don't think that's necessarily the worst thing though because knowing that I think they're still better than a lot of the teams that come up against and that just it shows that you know they're a fully fledged fully formed team that has an understanding of what they are and they'll navigate that however they can. Um, I just I'm not seeing that with other teams. I mean, the Nuggets might have been closest, but then they make a move that isn't going to boost chemistry, and I don't know what it does for the roster, and that just baffled me. But if I guess the Raptors are the other team in the, in this kind of conversation too, in terms of a team that's just you know they get it, they get each other, they know what they're supposed to do, and they go out and play and they get good results. Like, there's very few teams like that. And the Lakers are one of the only other teams that can say that. And that is in spite of having holes in their roster. But it also comes equipped with the fact that they have that going for them, plus LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I think... They're, they're riding the kind of thing that is generally, you know, reserved for lesser talented teams in terms of where they're at, in terms of chemistry and cohesion. And yet they have one of the greatest players of all time and one of the best players in the league today teaming up at the kind of at the head of all of that. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. But they might need Jason Kidd to sign a deal to be a point guard. <sighs> Probably. Or <laughs> that could work. Were they linked to Dion Waiters? I think I might have saw that last And time. they met with J.R. Smith as well. I mean, it's easy to laugh at that too, but like, what are the alternatives? This is like, to go back to our, our early conversation, like, it is grim. Like, this is, this is where Marvin Williams is like, great, the book's got Marvin Williams, even in part just because other teams can't, because these are the options that you then have to legitimately consider, because... Like, there, what else is there? There, There isn't much of anything out there. There certainly isn't. Both of those guys, um, they can shoot you out of plenty of games. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we, we know that. Um, but there could also just be that one game where they win it for you. And those players are not out there. Like, I mean, the best teams can hope for is a solid role player. If you're looking to push yourself over the edge, unless it's like a perfect fit at a position that's a glaring need, that that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have appeal. And I think teams will be like, oh, what if we just have one player that, you know, if things really get desperate, break glass in case of emergency, and maybe Deion Waiters has a game, or maybe J.R. Smith has a game. Tyler Johnson. Very. Evan Turner. (laughs) I think you're mean to Evan Turner. Evan Turner's a very flawed player, but... I think he's a good guy who's been around the league for... He's a good guy. Unlike, just, I think it's... unlike a lot of those players, uh, he is an active NBA player who like doesn't just go a long time though? without playing. I mean, yeah. the Hawks barely played them, and <laughs> they're not good. Um, I think Wayne Ellington is another guy, if he does get bought out, he probably will be a Lakers target. That just seems kind of... It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything, but I mean, 
it wouldn't be that surprising. I can't think of many players who've made a more puzzling mistake than he did when he chose the Pistons the last time he was bought out. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> That was wild. you know. Well, no, I was pick, say... a good, pick a good team and have a good few months, and he would have got a really big deal, and his whole career would have been transformed in line with the kind of couple of years he had had to get himself to that position. And instead, he picked a team where he felt he'd get more minutes, overlooking the fact that they were just bad. Yeah, they were. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, they run into this player, <laughs> this you know. They're basically on a Titanic. They're sinking when they get. They're basically fighting for an A seed, and that they kind of fell into. Um. Oh no, I was gonna say Darren Collison because everybody was talking about like, I mean, before he made his decision, he was kind of like looked at as like, oh, he might be like the third best point guard on the market. I would have to relook at who was free agent. Third best. And that was Who's just better. Who I maybe it was more. I I don't like. I was talking about like last summer before he made the stunning decision. To oh, retire. okay, right, okay. I thought you meant like in the last couple of weeks. Oh no, no like... yeah, he's. I mean, the best of it. But like, it was just funny to me that like you're thinking of coming out of retirement when you kind of like I, I did understand. I guess maybe it was. I don't know. It, it was just kind of a weird decision that you would come out of retirement when you literally could have made like eight digits, eight figures, uh, have a good contract, play for the some of the teams that you were, you know, I, I don't know. It was weird. Do we um, do we believe he ever really considered that? I feel like we've had some misleading reporting at some point, overstating one thing, overstating another. Uh, I can imagine this great misunderstanding between him and the Lakers where he thinks he's going to the game and, you know, oh, this is cool. I used to be an NBA player. And the Lakers think, you know, he's going to sign for them. He's just completely oblivious to what's gone out there. There's just something I obviously was blown away by his shock retirement. Then I couldn't believe he was coming back. Then it's like, he's not coming back. What's going on? But I've been surprised so many times that I feel like at some point here, you know, we were being fed something that just wasn't necessarily accurate. And there's been some crossed wires and this has been the outcome of it to be like, I'm coming back. And then two weeks later, I'm I'm not. I'm gonna stay retired. Doesn't make sense to me. I just don't know how that worked out. I don't know. You 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 can't answer that. You can't give me a definitive answer. I just feel like some of the reporting around that must be must be a little bit off. There must have been some miscommunication, some misunderstanding, some kind of oh, hearing he's much more committed to this than he actually ever was, like maybe testing the waters would have been the way to put it in a very conservative way where instead we were getting the, Oh, he's coming back. And it's just a matter of which LA team he wants to play for. He's picking LA. It does. That doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And th- even that part of it didn't make sense. Given the reasons why he retired. That's like, Oh, LA is the only place he's going and he wants to live in LA and play for one of those teams. It's just, none of it makes sense that I'm very dubious of how all those reports. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Um. Okay, let's move on to All Star Weekend. We are in the week of All Star Game. Um. The big events start on Friday when Mark Lazary will make his fifth appearance oh, in the Celebrity All Star Game, coached by Stephen A. and Guy Fieri. 
Are you kidding me? I mean, yeah, the All Star Game is coming up. It's a celebrity game, people. That's the, the event. The event of the weekend. Isn't Quavo also on his team? I'd have to relook at it. He probably isn't, and I might have just got that mixed up because I didn't really care that much beyond, oh, Mark Lesnar's in it. But I feel like his team is quite obviously better in some way. No, I think Quavo's actually on the other team, but maybe it's He's got maybe chance. it's to do with the He's got former... chance the rapper. Okay. No, Quavo is on his team. You're correct. Oh, I am correct. Okay. I, d- I just felt looking at the team, my memory of it was that I thought it was very lopsided and in the favor of Mark Fazer's team, which may not be best for him in terms of getting minutes and getting a chance to, you know, get that celebrity game MVP that he's long been owed. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's Friday night. Then we've got a busy Saturday. We've got Two books participants in the All-Star Saturday festivities. We've got Chris Middleton taking part in the skills contest challenge, whichever it's called. And Pat being allowed to dunk in the dunk contest that night. Who's the last? Let's, is, let's... is Ray on the last buck to be in the dunk contest? No. No, you know that's not the case. Well, it was going to be Jennings. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were doing your bit, because no. that has long been a bit that you tried to pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> no, but that's just uh, me was getting older fact... and forgetting things. <laughs> okay. Well, Giannis was, in fact, the last the last book. Uh, Ray Allen and Paul Pressey <laughs> before him, from memory, are the other ducks. Ducks? Books to have dunked in the dunk contest and All-Star Weekend. Oh. Um... Let's start with Chris first. This is a bit of a weird one, but I mean, this is what happens, I guess, when you're an all-star and they want to get some all-stars in events and when you've, like, just inexplicably flamed out twice in the three-point shootout, so they no longer put you in that event. (laughs) That is what happened here. Like, there's there's no doubt about that. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll get him in an event. He's here, and, you know... He's not quite at the top tier. He's just not going to do it, like Giannis, for example. Um, but he has also just been terrible at the contest that should be suited to him. So let's put him in this one instead. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It could work out. How many... How many? What did he get last year? Did he get like 10 or 11? I think he matched what he got. I feel like his, his two... He's, it's been between like 11 and 13. I think he got 13 the first time and it was 11 last year. Oh, it's bad. Whew. I think this, I think he could win this one though. The way he's shooting at the moment, he could make the shot from anywhere. So the the disadvantage he'll have in speed, possibly in getting up and down the court, he will make up for with the shot. It's all about the pass. His, his passing has improved dramatically. You say that, but I mean... Yeah, but those, I mean, there, there are guys that are good passers and pinpoint. There's guys who are good passers, though, who miss it three times and then just go ahead anyway. I hate like, that just, rule. That's the, what that's, makes if, you, if you don't make the pass, you should, you're, should be gone. Like Exactly. And if both guys don't make the pass, well, go back to the starting line and they have to run it again. Um, 
which just doesn't happen anyway. Someone's always going to make it on the like three attempts, but I don't, I don't know why that's a thing. Maybe because it would be pretty anticlimactic in like the final. Um, and look, it is fun just because it's completely ridiculous and chaotic and someone could just like basically miss tree on purpose in a hurry and get down there and hit a half court shot to, to win it. Um, but yeah, I've got a, I've got a funny feeling about Chris and this. I want, I want hardware. This is, I want trophies to this weekend. I'm looking towards the dunk contest. Right. Let's move or on. A celebrity, to or a celebrity game. That, that might be I don't trophy. think you should look towards that. Oh, but, God. <laughs> well, well, really, I mean, we I should know. be looking to the All-Star Game MVP um, as our best chance of a trophy, if we're being realistic. I think we've had two years in a row where it's been on and it's looked good for a spell and then it hasn't. Um, Giannis may have picked the team that gives him the best chance of being the all-star game MVP. Like, let's not forget the Harden quote that went viral. He wants guys who will pass. He wasn't, he wasn't risking having James Harden just not give him the ball. I think, I think we could have it this year. The one thing would be on the other side. It's whether they decide. Anthony Davis is from Chicago. They, they better not do the thing they did in New Orleans when Giannis should have won it, and then everyone just decided we're going to let him have it because it's in New Orleans, the franchise we all know he's been. Turns out it, he needed to win it because it would have made him happy. Happy to stay. I won the All-Star Game MVP. <laughs> How strange was that? He's not even from there. The, the hometown thing would make more sense. But you've already got one free one, so tough luck, Anthony Davis. This is not yours this weekend. Uh, he remember those comments. He was considering Chicago. Maybe I do that. Remember, <laughs> he was like at like some book reading, I guess. The dunk contest. I, I had jumped the gun. You you feel like the dunk contest is in play? Do you think Pat can win? <sighs> He's going against Dwight, Aaron Gordon, and Derek Jones Jr. Correct. He is um, third in the in the betting order out of them. Only Dwight Howard has longer. Yeah, odds. let's. I mean, I'm not even concerned, Dwight. Let's get out of here. Get out of here, man. But... <laughs> well, no. I mean, the big men do not do well in that that competition. Well, I mean, he is a historic exception to that. I know it was quite some time ago, but. If you can do some good things and draw the nostalgia. Did he dunk the ball? He didn't. Not to me. He thrunked it. You're saying it was a a throw? Yeah. It's a a slam dunk contest, not slam thrunk. You get a lot of that, though. I saw saw the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, the, the classic one recently, and I got annoyed about it again. I had a bet on Aaron Gordon that year. Oh, he should have won. Uh, but with distance, I realized it wasn't just, you know, hurting my pocket that got me annoyed. It was just, his dunks were incredible. They were so much better than anything Cyclophane was doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> Eric Gordon's career but, is basically but, built on the dunk contest. <laughs> I mean, that's why he's back. Um, yeah. I think the comparison between the two of those is interesting, though, even when we come to Pat, because is Pat going to be able to do, like, stunt dunks? Does he need to do stunt dunks? Is that his best route to it? Or, mm. or is thinking. he... You got me thinking. 
okay, well, hold that for talk for one second. Or is he the, you know, his athleticism is surprising for people. So could he just be the Zach Levine-esque, you're going to be shocked at where I take off from, how high I get and how ferociously I can throw this down. You know, is he is he just going to try and rely on those natural gifts that people don't believe he has? Or is he going to really get creative with this? That's the, that's the big question. What kind of dunker is he? Um, I de- with the answer we know is that he's a putback dunker. But how do you recreate so, that? I think is quite easily. Well, is it basically just you put someone in front of you and you jump over them? I think that's part of it. Or you're you're then trying to create junk dunks that are like, um, either you're throwing it yourself off the backboard, or you're tossing it up really high and trying to come in on. It. You're just trying to trying to create that same that same scenario where we were we're used to seeing him like rush in from a distance to go and clean something up. But I just I don't know. It seems a bit a bit bland potentially for the dunk contest if that's the route he goes. Let me hear. Let me hear any ideas that I may have sparked in either. I think it's very easy. I mean, let's let's. This is how this is how I'm going to set it this up. Pat Connaughton prides himself on being a multi-sport athlete. He's still currently right. under contract with the Baltimore Orioles. He's mm-hmm. a pitcher. He throws a mean fastball, a pat ball, if you will. I don't think I think fastball is fine. Fastball, okay. There's something to incorporate the game of baseball or throwing, mm-hmm. maybe just grabbing a bat and you know hitting a basketball as hard, like as high in the air. This isn't gonna work. Just give me a second. As this it's is, coming, as it's <laughs> as it's coming down on the court, it bounces up. That's when Pat flies. He catches the ball in midair. He is he going to take 50 attempts at this? Is no. To... He throws it. Even better. Are you ready? Are you ready? He's in a batting cage. Oh, God. The cage <laughs> encompasses around. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we're on to something in terms of incorporating baseball. <laughs> Maybe I mean, have get, you like, seen the movie Basketball? Oh basketball. Have you seen the movie that? Basketball? No, I haven't seen Well, that's what he does. He does something like that. I just it's I was it's not something I've ever experienced. I've never I've never held a baseball bat, I don't think. I held a baseball bat. I don't think so. I can't imagine your plan of Hitting a basketball with a baseball bat being, you know, being something that's gonna work. Does that work? Am I am I completely naive in this? And this is something that everyone will know and have tried as a child. I mean, Does it's that like, work? to the point where you're hitting up in the air. I mean, that's pretty hard. Yeah, I would think so. This was a nonsense idea. I thought you might have had something, but I think there is something to incorporate that he's going to. Yeah, you, Mark's just, my you just wear you wear an Orioles jersey and you have like the Orioles mascot or something. You don't go over him. Or <laughs> he pretends to sign a contract extension with the Orioles. And this prob- is already very elaborate. Well, I mean, he is a free agent this year. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm, okay, 
idea number two. He, he may be playing baseball next year. Who knows? Like that is, genuinely, that is a possible thing. He signs like he has it. The paper with it, it's on a table. His signature. All the paper needs is his signature. There's an X by it. He's got to sign it. He goes up to sign it. As he's going up there, he grabs the paper, he rips it, and then throws down the dunk. And saying, I am... Ripping paper in this climate? (sighs) (laughs) So that's pretty loaded, Jordan. Oh, man. That's good. That's good. Um... Uh, Did he also say uh, he, okay. he played football? He played football? He did play football, yeah. I think he was a quarterback. Okay. Uh, are you going to have you got another one now? Is this going to go <laughs> Give forever? Give me a couple of minutes. Give me a couple of minutes. <laughs> I, I think, you know, he's going to have Giannis courtside. He's got to get Giannis involved. Can Pat Connaughton <sighs> dunk over Giannis? I am very doubtful of that. If he can, he wins the dunk contest. Yeah, Maybe I mean it's been building. I mean, I don't think it's outside of Bucks fans; they don't really it resonates with them. But they obviously have this kind of one-up relationship. Talking to the Rock, former football player. Um, <laughs> sorry, but that relationship though is that not gonna? Maybe the Rock can be involved. Probably not. I feel like The Rock is not going to come down. Is a movie also. coming up? I mean... <laughs> to let Pat dunk on him. Um, <laughs> it, is it a good thing, though, Pat's relationship with Giannis? If Giannis is giving him dunk contest pointers, is that a good thing? I don't know. I would I would say no, based on history. Let's not forget, wasn't Tanasis was, was, was an active participant last time, too. So, I mean... Um, he, he was an active participant without being in the NBA at that time. He was in the G League. Yeah, but he was. Was he not a Knicks player on assignment? Like, or did he just? Oh, I guess was he, he yeah, just a he G was, League player. He was drafted, so I guess he. I don't. I yeah, can't... he was just never like up in the NBA. Yeah. So he was an NBA player. Like a draft maybe right maybe player? he can bring Tanasis out. Maybe he shouldn't. Uh, maybe Tanasis was to blame for Yanis showing, but. Yeah, I guess time will tell. We'll find out. I would like to say we've come up with some good suggestions for potential Pat Connaughton dunks. But I wouldn't lie to you all like that. Mm. Any other all-star thoughts? Thoughts on the team Yanis picked? I don't. I really don't care. You don't care. I knew I knew that was going to be. Everyone's like, oh, what a terrible GM. Okay, it's the all-star game. It's No, I, I don't care about it from that perspective. Oh, yeah. Um... I mean, LeBron's starting team is insane. I mean, it's just that one is obviously incredible. Giannis isn't. That's fine. Um, but all of those players are at a certain level where that could just not matter on a given night. Uh, I guess what I'm interested in is just the kind of personalities Giannis picks and who he gravitates to. And it's he very much picked, I think, the booksiest kind of collection of all stars he could have. Yeah. Now, the ego guys are not on Yannis' team. No. Biggest ego well, is... Well, I mean, he does have Jimmy Embiid. Butler on his team. Is Jimmy Butler on his team? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was the thing. He was like saying like, the one thing that I was going to make a joke about because, you know, I like to joke. Um, (laughs) That he was saying like, oh, these guys are going to play hard and all this stuff. Jimmy Butler notoriously did not play in an all-star game because he didn't want to play that night. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's that's an interesting thing to say. Um, Yeah. Okay, one thing we forgot to talk about, and I guess we'll wrap up on this note. Um, we didn't go back to talking about Dragon Bender and him being waived to make way for Marvin Williams. I you might just gloss over this one. I, I this one hurts. I I'm not gonna pretend this one stings. Um, on merit, I think you should still be on the roster, but this is this is about. His contract being the cheapest, the most disposable, the one that waiving him wouldn't carry over um, to next year in terms of dead cap with the kind of guaranteed money that, say, DJ Wilson has because DJ Wilson serves no function on this team now. No. Like, it's it's tough. And if Robin Lopez was to knock on wood or Brook even, um, if they were to get injured and miss the rest of the season tomorrow morning, we're going to be like... Oh, the books could have done with having another player who is an actual center on the roster. And instead, they've got DJ Wilson, who just has no chance of getting minutes at the four, can't play the five. And it's kind of unfortunate. It's a really disappointing and sad year in the trajectory of it for DJ. And yet, like, there's no big campaign because there's no one to, like, Ursan's having a good year. The books are like historically incredible and DJ just hasn't seemed to make the most of the opportunities that he got out there. And I mean, look, we can't know for sure, but I would think that if he was really leaving an impression behind the scenes, he'd be getting more playing time. Like the books are clearly at a point where they're fully comfortable with this isn't a guy who's going to be a part of our long-term plans. This isn't a guy we need to find minutes for or give developmental run to because we're good enough now and he's not going to be a player who's going to help us get better in the next couple of years. Like his time is at an end and yet we're probably going to sit this one out where, as we talked about in recent weeks with a number of different things in terms of how the books are kind of going to be so restricted with salary this summer and have roster spots to fill out for guys like Sterling and Connaughton and possibly Wesley Matthews, possibly Robin, um, Marvin Williams now too and what would have been a spot where you had Dragon Bender on a deal that was as team friendly as it gets like he's shown something he's been really really good in the G League I don't think he'll clear waivers like the Warriors still have like three roster spots open right like even if they're just not interested in him you claim him (laughs) Like, okay, let's have a look. And we got this for next season if it works. And they actually probably do have reason to be interested in him in terms of positionally, if he could work there. Um, and that wouldn't that be a nightmare? Like, if I don't even want to go down that road because I hate that stuff and I don't look forward to even the possibility of that being a conversation at some point. But to me, this is a move that is pretty unfortunate. I get why it's happened, but... If if there if there was any kind of knowledge heading into the deadline that Marvin Williams is going to be available and we've got a good chance of getting him and we want to get him, 
I think you've got to push harder to get off a contract and open a roster spot for your trade. Like, teams called about Sterling. I mean, ideally, keeping Sterling for the run and getting rid of DJ would make sense, just even positionally. But if teams were calling about Sterling and you could get anything for Sterling and you knew you were going to have to make a tough decision on a roster cut in the next couple of days, I mean, make a deal. Like, get a second round pick if there's multiple teams calling. Maybe they tried and no one was prepared to go to that, but if that's not it, then I don't know why anyone's calling. Like, that suggestion would indicate someone was offering something. I just, maybe it could have been handled a little bit better that they could have opened a roster spot in a different route and been able to not just keep Bender, but his very team-friendly contract um, when they're going to be really up against it this summer to work a lot of that stuff out. Yeah, I mean, the team that Marvin Williams came from with uh, the Hornets, I mean, they got a couple of roster spots open. Uh, it wouldn't be bad to maybe take a look at him. I mean, who's their Cody Zeller? I don't. I can't think of another. I guess they have Biombo, but those guys aren't the future for them. Maybe Bender's an interesting guy. I don't know. I I just think it sucks for him. I think the the ultimate thing. I mean, it just goes to show you like how. Uh, how rough of a the NBA can be for a guy, you know, disappointed obviously with Phoenix and was certainly. I mean, it wasn't many minutes with the Bucks, but I think I really liked what he did defensively, especially. I think that's if you can show something on one end of the floor or the other, um, and for a team that's again historically great as the Bucks, and nothing is really nothing was really lost in those you know four or five games. Um, that he kind of got his, uh, you know, best run with them. Um, I really liked what he was doing. He was playing with the herd on Friday, not with the team for the road trip. Um, and you know, the timing of of it, the herd, you know, win a game minutes later that Shams report comes out, and you can understand why there was kind of they were a little bit mum on who they're gonna wave. Everybody, I know there's a lot of speculation, kind of like. Oh, it could have, it should have been DJ. Or it should have been Sterling. These guys aren't you know really valuable contributors to the Bucks at this point. It was always going to be Dragon, uh, just based on salary structure and all that stuff. But um, that's that's the kind of stuff that is it, it's tough uh, to deal with if you're from the team and you know you don't want that stuff getting out and at very precarious times when it's you know. He's a guy on assignment. He's just trying to be in the league to begin with, and you know he's uh, cut loose. And he's doing everything right. Doing everything right. He wanted to be in Milwaukee. He, you know, that's another uh, terrible thing. Is like he wanted. He looked at the Bucks like this is a place that's going to make me better. And I mean, it obviously made him better from what we saw. Uh, you know, the last couple of months, but that obviously ends now. The other, the other thing with this is. You've got to have a little bit more foresight and maybe you don't know specifically it's Marvin Williams, but if you think you're going to make a move and you want to open a spot for the buyout market, they should have they should have tried to work this out back before the two-way deadline and see if they could get him on a two-way deal because, I mean, look, you watch the herd, so you know more from that side of it, but Cam Reynolds is doing nothing for the books. Like, Cam Reynolds is just not even a factor and he hasn't played. No. <laughs> um, 
like he's just not a factor in the book season and he's gonna go through the season on a two-way deal like dragon is eligible for that now maybe that's not something he would take and if it's proven that you know he doesn't uh, clear waivers and someone claims them before that maybe it's a moot point but if you're thinking this way i i would have thought you've got to explore that option keep him in the system see what you can do i don't maybe think he's lucky wanted to do that though yeah but remember the deal he signed in the summer <laughs> like he wants to be in the nba and what are his alternatives we don't know the answer just yet we'll find out in the next few days but maybe they're not as strong as we think maybe people aren't paying quite as much attention as we think they might that's often the case with these things i'm just uh, just seeing here i don't know you might have seen it too but the the mid-season all uh, g league teams mm-hmm. were unveiled is he not a snub for that i know he's only played like 13 times but or is he even eligible i don't think he would be eligible there have been guys who've just spent most of years on assignment, though, who are actually on NBA contracts who've made those sort of things before, particularly even end-of-season ones. Yeah, it seems like it's... Josh Jackson's on the Western but he's Conference also team. he's also in a weird spot, though. Yeah, but he's oh, on NBA no, contracts. A, yeah, it does say players on assignment are, are eligible for the vote. Like, is Dragon not a snub, then? I don't know. Maybe it just comes out of appearances, but he also played in like. GP2 also made it, in spite of the fact that he doesn't even play. He doesn't even play for the team that he's down as listed as having uh, made it for anymore. Neither does uh, Tucker, though. Well, that is true. Um, Yeah, okay, I guess so. Um. Okay, I think that's all we've got on, on Dragon. Anything else overall? Well, let's get back to the pet. Let's, let's flesh this out. Okay, so I guess we'll be back next week to reflect on All-Star Weekend because I'm not doing any more <laughs> of this. Somehow, it seems like Jordan could go forever with that. It may be his greatest strength coming up with just Dumb dunk ideas for Pat Connaughton. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that gets you on a resume. Um, but if you hear this, Pat, yeah, I got, I got some ideas for you. Yeah, give Jordan a call, and by the time you get off the call, you'll have missed the dunk contest. We'll be back next week to reflect on all of it. Middleton the skills challenge, Connaughton the dunk contest and Giannis and Chris in the All-Star game. Also, of course, Mark Lazarus in the Celebrity game. Um, yeah, that's all we've got for now. Until the next time, make sure you subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, and favorite us tune in radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Podcast. My work, Jordan's work, the rest of our team, you can read it at BehindTheBookPass.com every day. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.